Thanks for joining us today. I'm Rob Parker, lead pastor at The Plant Church. Our vision is to know Christ and make him known. If you are interested in getting connected or if we can help you in any way, email us at info at theplantchurch.org. to introduce uh, a very good friend of mine to you that's going to be preaching this morning. Um, uh, I don't know how long we've known each other now, Anna. It's been like 10 plus years, probably. 10 plus years, but I want to introduce my good friend, Anna Schumann. Uh, She is a pastor at one of our uh, alliance churches in our district, at Risen King Alliance Church in New City, New York. Uh, And and she's a phenomenal teacher, uh, preacher, uh, friend, all sorts of other things. A mom, right? It's Mother's Day. We'll throw in the mom. A wife, David, and uh, their kids are here today. So would you give Anna a huge welcome as she preaches this morning? All right. Good morning, everybody. Um, so, Andrew, I did some quick math. We've known each other for 13 years. You met me when I was 17, actually. Um, I don't know if you remember the first time we met. This is a funny story. Um, So I had a car that was older than me, and I brought it to college with me. And it used to scream when you turned it on, like you could hear me coming from a mile away kind of car. And my friend Shin, who Andrew was also friends with, one summer was like, I've had enough of your car. We're going to figure out what's wrong with it. Um, and so we're on campus, we're, and he's showing me, I say I was changing the oil. I was sitting next to the car while someone else did all of the work. And Andrew drove by and was like, what are you doing? Which was the first time of many times Andrew has asked me that question. <laughs> and I said, oh, I'm changing the oil of the car. And he looks at Shin and he goes, you going to dispose of that safely? Which was a great question to ask because I had no idea there was an unsafe way to dispose of oil. And when I was like, I'm sure we will figure that out, he said, great, be smart about what you're doing. And he drove away. And that was the first time I met Andrew. <laughs> no, it was wonderful. No, but from there, Andrew and I got to work together at uh, the River Church, um, and we have stayed connected through the years. He has been a wonderful voice in my life and in my story, so I am super excited to have the opportunity to come and meet all of you. Um, It's been refreshing to come out and listen to you all engage in worship, to see Andrew leading you through pastoring the moments around you, and seeing how you all lean in and engage with what the Holy Spirit is doing in the room each each moment. Today is Mother's Day, and like Andrew said, I am a mom. I've got two little minions that run around. We call them the blonde tornadoes. Um, If you were here earlier, you saw them doing cartwheels through the back of the room. Um, So that is who they are. We love them deeply and fiercely, and we ask for your help if you see them in the parking lot. They should not be there. Please return them to us. I work over at Risen King Alliance Church. They have given me the honor of being the pastor of youth and family ministry. And I always have to pause when I say that because I also partner with Nyack College where I'm the department coordinator for youth and family studies and I forever am crossing those lines. Um, So getting to come out and teach and preach is one of my favorite things that I get to do. And I try to fill as much of my time with it as possible. One of the best ways that I have found to engage with people is like, I like to be widely read. 
which means that I subscribe to every blog possible. And I might be the only person in the world who checks my Google Promotions folder because everything goes there. But do you know what you find when you subscribe to every blog in the world? So many stories. Spam too, yes, that's true. I get a lot of weird emails. But you find so many good stories. And I start my day almost religiously by going through these promotion folders and reading just what people are thinking about. And one caught my interest a couple of months ago. Um, and as any true product of the 90s, it caught my interest because it was about archaeology. Any other 90s babies in the room? Like, come on, Indiana Jones, all of the, if you went, grew up in the church in the 90s, they had all those cartoons where the kids would fall into the archaeological dig site, and then they were in the Bible story. It was great. It was my dream. So when they said, we have this story about an archaeological dig, I said, I am here to listen. <laughs> so I start reading through it, and this story is talking about the Aztec culture, and the, the, archaeolo the archaeologists are over in Central America, and they're digging, and they find this village that is so perfectly preserved. And they start to unpack what they have found, and they find homes, multiple homes, that all tell the same story of people living in this time. And they start digging through and going through everything that they found, and they see the bed area where the families came and gathered. They find toys of children, and they're able to learn so much about what was considered play, how they led their children. They also find the kitchen area. They see the different tools that they used, all of this different stuff, and it's telling them a story. But one unique thing that they found as they were digging through all of these homes carefully with such great discretion and intentional thought behind everything they moved, they found that in the rafters of each of these homes were these obsidian blades every single time. They're like, why are these sharp weapons up in the rafters? And so they start to think, they're looking at the literature around, they're looking at the art on the home walls, and they see that this culture worshipped the sun god. And one of the ways that they had uh, engaged in worship was that they would ask the sun gods to bless their blades for the different rituals they practiced, for the different hunting sessions that they went out on. So they believed, looking at how they worshipped and looking at where they kept the obsidian blades, they were like, obviously, they stored the obsidian blades in the rafters so that it was closer to the sun gods, and the sun gods could bless the blades and strengthen the blades for their hunting purposes, for their rituals, for everything that they needed. If it was closer to the gods, then it was closer to the heavens. It was powerful. It was magical. It was stronger. And they continue on their dig. They find a few more things. They collect all of their conclusions, and they head back to their home site. I believe it was a college somewhere. And they bring their findings to a panel, and they start presenting it. And they talk about the clothing that they found. They talk about the toys. They talk about the kitchen and the tools that they found. And then they present this obsidian blade finding. They're like, you know, we found these obsidian blades in the rafters, and they were stored in the rafters so that the gods could strengthen it between ceremonies. And they move on and they start talking about how obsidian blades were so sharp that they cut down to the cellular level, that they didn't need any serration to the blade. It was just smooth. And it was the gods that refined the blades while it was up in the rafters. And they're going on and on and on until one panelist just clears their throat and says, um, excuse me, did you ever consider that maybe they were storing the blades in the rafters 
to keep them out of the reach of children. And everyone just kind of took a step back. They looked through their notes and they were like, huh. Because also in the rafters was medicine, herbs, other weapons, all things that you want outside of the reach of children. They said, I think you're correct. (laughs) And wouldn't you know that that one panelist was the only woman in the room? Isn't it funny the conclusions we draw when voices are absent from the table? Isn't it amazing the insights we miss when we don't have every voice able to speak into what we are observing and discovering? As a people group, as humanity, we have this long history of absent seats in the table, of absent voices at the table. And the impact of their absence bears far greater weight on our story as a people group than we ever give it credit. See, so much of who we are as people, when you walk into a room, there's a lot of explicit messages. When I walk in here, I see that you are people who love to gather because you have coffee out. And you all have tables out and you gather around those tables. And I know because of things I've heard Andrew say that when you gather, it's intentional, that you gather to get to know one another. What you say is how people learn about who you are. But it's also in the implicit messages and what you do and how you walk around and greet people who are unknown. You welcome them in. You say hi. You get to know them. No one says, go talk to the new people, but you all know to do it. But there's a third way that we're shaped as people, and it's by what is left out intentionally, by what's unsaid. See, we know about a culture by what is said. We learn about a people group by what they do, but we are shaped by what is missing. We see this a lot as we look through scripture too. In fact, a lot of people look at the story of God and they see this history of absence And it's because when we go all the way back to the story of creation, we see that God created humanity to walk with them, to cultivate this life with them, to stand next to them day by day, to walk with them, to talk with them, to be with them. God didn't actually need us to name the animals, but he wanted us to be part of what he was doing. And he walks with us until we decide that we know better than what God has for us. And we made the decision to walk away. And in that separation, we see the introduction of absence. Where man is instructed to rule over his wife, that the wife would desire for control, that there's division, there's separation, and suddenly there's profiles over us. We're no longer the children of God, the people who walk with God. We're man, woman, sinner, fallen, leader, follower, outcast, reject. Those are the words we feel within those profiles. But a lot of times those profiles are things that we use to just help us categorize who we are. Who are you? Who do you say that you are? Those descriptors often become the profiles that limit how we express our voice to the world around us. My name is Anna. I'm a daughter of a pastor. 
limitation. Everything I do reflects on my dad. My name is Anna. I am a professor at a college. Limitation. You're going to talk in such a way that I'll never understand, and I'm going to feel really inadequate when I talk with you, so I'm just not going to talk to you. My name is Anna. I'm a woman in ministry. My church gives me the honor of being called pastor. Limitation. My theology doesn't have space for that. I don't understand. So many of these profiles that we've created have prevented us from getting to know the people around us and have prevented us from honoring one another in this story. But the story of God, I forgot that I'm supposed to be clicking. (laughs) It's like, where is this thing? Oh, no. There it is. There it isn't. Yeah, okay, we'll go with it. Um, (laughs) But the story of God keeps going. And where we might see how this story is a history of absence, at the same time, could you jump to the slide with the picture for me? There we go. While we may see it as a long-standing history of absence, at the same time being woven throughout all the details is a story of invitation. What do you see when you look at the picture? Half of the room might see a man playing saxophone. The other half of the room might see a profile of a woman. Both are true. Both are present. But if we only look at the history of absence, we miss a story of redemption, a story of invitation. See, the moment the separation happened and man fell from God, man walked away from all that God had for them, God turned and looked at them and said, I am going to make a way to fix this. You have been unfaithful, but I will be faithful. My faithfulness, the very nature of who I am, is enough to cover this. And God met a man named Abram, and he split the animals in two. He set up this covenant relationship. They were going to walk through this ceremony that said, if anything were to break this covenant, let me be as the animals we are walking between. And God walked through this, the very presence and nature of God in a flaming lantern came through this alley. And he says, I am the God who is faithful. By my very nature, I will be the one who restores us. And when it is time for Abram to walk through and take on his part of the covenant, because a covenant is two people, he knocks him out literally and says, you do not have the power to do this. I am not going to let you do this. I am taking both parts of the covenant upon myself. I will reconcile us. And I want you to be part of this story. And he takes it upon himself to be the faithful God. By his very nature, all that he is and all that he will be is going to be fulfilled. And he will be the God who restores. And the story moves on. Because he doesn't just invite Abram. He invites Abram to become Abraham, the father of many nations. Descendants as countless as the stars. And he invites his wife to be part of the story. And the story goes on. We see men and women rise up to be part of this invitation of seeing God and man come together again. And we see women like Deborah leading an entire nation, a judge of Israel, the voice that brings Israel back into the presence of God and says, this is his way. 
Let's rejoice in what he's doing. The story goes on and we talk about different uh, encounters where men and women have led us back into the presence of God and we have been reunited for a moment, for a season, until we get to the voice that, re- that restores our relationship forever. And we get to the heartbeat, the living God, Jesus. And Jesus, in step with all that God had been doing, with all the invitation and the reconciliation that God had been setting us up for in the Old Testament, when we get to Jesus, he comes in and he says, I am the way. I am the truth. I am the invitation. Would you come and be part of what God is doing? Jesus invited 12 men to follow him invited 12 men to take on this journey. He invited 12 men to follow him in this powerful ministry. But each of those men had women alongside them. He invited women like Martha, women like Mary. He invited women to follow him on this ministry. And the story of invitation continues, and we see the heartbeat of God move forward. Jesus was the one who elevated the marginalized. He looked out and he saw the sick, the leper, and he said, I have made you clean. Come and be part of what God is doing. He saw the blind man. He said, I will restore your sight. Come and be part of what God is doing. Every single disciple that he called into this journey with him, he said, come and see what I am doing. And after three years' time before he went to the cross, the last thing he said to them was, now go and die for what I have done. Come and see, now go and die. He builds into this relationship with us opportunities to join him. That's always been what it's about. From the very beginning, when he created us to be with us, to when he came as Jesus, he said, I want you to be with me. The heartbeat of God has always been to see us all come together. The work of the kingdom is a story of invitation, but it's a story of invitation because of the absence we have. And it's something we're still wrestling out today. The history of absence has limited our voice. But as the story went on and as Jesus came, Jesus became the name that speaks for all who believe in him. For all who claim the name of Jesus, we all carry his name before the Father. At the end of the day, when we get to meet God, I'm not going to say, hi, my name is Anna. I'm going to say, I am your daughter. The name of Jesus speaks for me. So why would we look at one another and say, the name of Jesus means more in my life than it does yours? It's because of the work of the Holy Spirit. Where Jesus was the great elevator and he lifted up those who had been pushed out, those who had been cast aside, those who had been sent down, the heartbeat of God continues. And Jesus said, I am sending an advocate. I am sending a helper. My spirit will fall upon you and he will dwell within you. And that Holy Spirit lives in our lives as the great equalizer. And working out within us is that story of invitation. 
Because the name of Jesus speaks for me and speaks for you, the Holy Spirit dwells within us and every moment of every day invites us to walk with God. That's good news. Come on. Like, that is a great story to be part of. I want to be part of the story of invitation. I don't want any more of this long history of absence. If we continue in this long-standing history of absence, all we are saying is that Jesus is for me and he's not enough for you. I will not be part of that message. I want to be part of hope. I want to be part of reconciliation. I want to be part of the restoration. I want to see all things brought back into the order that God intended. The impact of absence weighs far heavier on who we are as humanity than we've given it credit. And if we continue to ignore it, it will continue to be our story. Your series is called Activate. There's nothing passive there. Let's take it on. Let's make it our prayer. Let's make it the footsteps of our life, both before and behind, that when we go out, we say we are here to put things back in order because the Holy Spirit has invited me to join God here. So let's take a minute and pray. Well, Father God, I'm a quarter of the way in my notes, and we've already brought your word. (laughs) So Holy Spirit, keep stirring it up. Father, we invite you to minister to the needs of our hearts in this space. God, I ask that you would guide my words to be honoring of who you are, to be a testimony of your name. God, as we take on the cry and the the cry of our heart to activate your spirit within us, God, would you be the voice that is loudest in the room? Would you be the one who says, this is what I have for you? Will you join me here? We trust your voice. We trust your footsteps. So bring our heartbeat into alignment with yours. May we be the next step of the story that says we are with you. Amen. Today, I actually want to talk to you about the story of a woman who got to live out this story of invitation. And it wasn't just her trailblazing away for her to go out and say, I belong to the kingdom of God. It is a story of an entire community that rallied around her and supported her in it. See, if the name of Jesus is the name that speaks for all who believe, we cannot say that there is a difference in value between each of us since we all stand under the same name. So the question isn't, how is this possible? The question is, how do we honor one another in this process? We have these profiles. We have these things that we believe about people. But we also know that the truth of God says that we are his. And to be his means that, just like it says in Romans and Galatians and a couple of other places, because Paul says the same thing over and over and over again, he goes, there is no longer slave nor free, Jew nor Gentile, male nor female. And that is in keeping with what God said, because back in Joel, he says, your sons and daughters will prophesy. You're old, you're young. 
everything that God has been doing. He's been preparing our hearts for this message that we get to be together because it is his spirit living within us. He is the great equalizer. So we get to this story of Lydia and we get to see an example of how we honor one another well despite the profiles that we have been taught to believe. We're going to be in Acts chapter 16, verses 13 through 15. So if you want to read along with me, I don't think this is working very well. Um, but if you want to read along with me, I want to read you the story, and then I want to tell you his, the story of God's word. So if you'll allow me, it comes with a little bit of my storytelling flair. On the Sabbath, we went outside the city gate to the river where we expected to find a place of prayer. Let's pause. So we've got, jumped into the story, and Paul has gotten to a place where he is... He was on one missionary journey. He goes to sleep and he is woken in a dream where a man from Macedonia meets him and says, please come to us, bring us the good news. And this man from Macedonia is a dream from the spirit. And Paul recognizes the work of the spirit and he turns and says, this is what we're gonna do instead. So he heads over to Macedonia. One of the colonies in Macedonia is a place called Philippi, the letter to the Philippians. So he gets to Philippi, and they go in. They spend a couple of days there, and now we have jumped into this story. Paul is on a spirit-led mission. So they are in the Sabbath. They're in the temple, and they decide to leave the city gate and go to the river where they expected to find a place of prayer. That sounds about right. Leave the city, find some nature, see where everyone's gone to meet with God. I'm for it. That sounds like my church. We sat down and began to speak to the women who had gathered there. Let's pause again. We expected to find a place of prayer. Instead, we found a group of women. Paul was looking for the leaders of the church. He was looking to see how they retired to meet and fellowship with God, and he was met instead with who the Spirit intended for him to meet, a group of women who had gathered there to pray. One of those listening was a woman from the city of Thyatira named Lydia, a dealer in purple cloth. She was a worshiper of God, and the Lord opened her heart to respond to Paul's message. When she and the members of her household were baptized, she invited us to her home. If you consider me a believer in the Lord, she said, come and stay at my house, and she persuaded us. Let's talk about this passage. We see a spirit-anointed mission. We see that they left the city to go to a river to see if the people met there to pray, to see if the leaders of the church were there communing with God after a long day in the temple. And what they found instead was the women who had gathered to meet with God and engage in his heart. So they preached the ones that the Spirit had brought them. And in the story of Lydia, what's interesting is we see that it is not anything of Paul's work, not his message, not his eloquence, not his astute teaching that brought her into the kingdom. It was the fact that the Lord anointed her that he empowered her, that he stirred her heart to respond to Paul's message and respond, she did. She didn't just leave it at words that were nice down by the river. It wasn't just like a good Holy Spirit moment and then she moved on with her life. She heard the words of God and she responded to what God was doing in her heart. She went home and she told everybody in her household all about what God was doing, about this invitation that we all had access to, about the good news of the Holy Spirit living among us because that was the gospel that Paul was preaching. He was going around the entire Mediterranean world telling them that you are invited to this covenant relationship. 
That God made a way, despite it being for one group of people, he has expanded the covenant, and now it is for all groups of people. You get to be part of God's family, and he has sent his spirit to dwell within you. That was the good news. When he gets there, and Lydia hears that, and she goes back to her home, she tells that very same story to her entire household. Let's pause there. We say household, we think, well, I have two kids, my husband, okay, household of four. Absolutely not in this story. Lydia was a dealer of purple cloth from a city called Thyatira. That is the only place you can get purple cloth in the entire Mediterranean world. It's actually more of a red wine, but like we'll go with it for the story. It's purple. And they go through, and they cut this cloth, and this cloth is used to put a ring around the hem of the toga of different levels of senators. The more rings you have, the higher in authority you were. Lydia's clientele were the leaders of the colony the number one commerce colony in this land of Macedonia. She had an audience with the richest of rich, the voices that changed the room. She was a woman of influence. This purple cloth was also used to adorn the high priestess of the local religion. Her other clientele was the leading voice in the belief of the entire city of the entire area of Macedonia. Lydia's household was her entire business. That means it wasn't just husband, kids. It was her entire workplace. She brings this good news home, and she brings them all into the kingdom. They are all baptized, and they hear this good news, and she goes back to Paul, and she wants Paul to come back and teach her whole household. She says, if you would consider me a believer, would you come and stay at my house? Her request is, would you come and teach them? Would you come and tell us more of this good news? But her request is covered by her own discrediting of who she is. If you would consider me a believer... After she had an encounter with the Holy Spirit, after she felt the presence of God move within her in such a way that she changed her life, she made this public declaration from being just a worshiper of God to being on fire for God. She was baptized in the Holy Spirit. And she had, she, the life change within her was so evident that all the people around her also agreed and were changed because of the life change in her. All of this work of the Spirit happened because she was faithful to say yes to the Lord. And she goes back to Paul and says, if you would consider me a believer. And if you'll allow me for a moment, I'd like to share what I think Lydia's words would sound like today. And I'd argue that they sound a lot like words I've written, words that I've said. Am I enough? Does this mean anything? Do I get to belong here? And it's at this moment that the story of Lydia starts to intercede with my own. There was a moment when I was fresh out of grad school. My husband was asked to be a youth director at a church. And I was invited into this interview, and I had no idea why I was there. 
because at this point, I had pretty much decided there's no place for me in the church. And I'm sitting down, and they're talking to me, and I'm like, everything that I say is now going to impact whether or not my husband gets to do what he's always wanted to do. And I start listing off every single reason I can think of as to why they should not want me in any direction as part of their church. And it was in that moment that Pastor Andrew actually looked at me and said, why do you think you're here? What are you doing? And he told me how, along with Pastor Tim, they had a space for me. And they wanted to see what God was doing in my life, and they wanted to be part of it. And it changed a lot of what I did. We jump back to Lydia's story. And that's exactly how Paul and Silas responded. Scripture tells us that they made their decision by saying, and she persuaded us. Now, I've heard that story, that verse specifically preached a lot of times to say, the, the kingdom of God has place for bossy ladies, like leaders, go for it, ask for what you want. That's not what they're saying here. And she persuaded us. They're saying, we have looked at your life. We recognize the work of the Spirit in you. We recognize the presence of God within you. And we affirm that what you are doing is good. And when Paul and Silas got back to Lydia's house, they let her lead. They changed their plans. She persuaded us. We looked at her life and we could not deny the evidence of God that was powerfully moving within her. And she persuaded us. We looked at who she was and we saw her through the value of God's eyes, not through the profile that we have been taught to look at her. She persuaded us. And while Paul and Silas are ministering the next day, they end up thrown in prison. Because a woman, empowered by a different spirit, started following them around. So they set her free and, like, ended badly for them. The demon they cast out of this woman was, like, very profitable to these people. So they lost millions of dollars in our experience of money. Um, And they had no source of income anymore. So those men decided Paul and Silas had to go to jail. So Paul and Silas get thrown into, like, the innermost cell, which is, like, the darkest, dungiest, wettest place you could imagine. I say wet intentionally because that makes it more uncomfortable. And they're in there, and that is where they are led and anointed with a spirit of praise. And they start worshiping, and the walls fall down. All the prisoners are freed, and as the guard goes to fall on his sword because he has brought dishonor on the Roman Empire by letting the prisoners escape, Paul and Silas are like, don't kill yourself. We're all still here. You ever notice that it's we're all? The prisoners that didn't go in with them? were made new and changed by the power and the presence of God in that moment. And they stayed. Because they stayed, the guard went back, brought them into their household. The whole guard's household is saved, brought into the kingdom. We see more and more life change happening. We see more and more people encountering the power and the presence of God. And we get out. The guard goes to the Roman, the magistrate of the town, and he says, hey, we threw a Roman citizen in jail without a trial 
We can get put to death for that. Paul's a Roman citizen, by the way. And so they throw, uh, they take Paul and Silas out. They're like, we are so sorry, but you do have to leave. And so Paul and Silas are like, we are going to go. But instead of leaving, they go back to Lydia's house where they find the brothers and sisters gathered in prayer. We see this at the end of Acts 16. You notice how Lydia went from gathering with women to pray at the river to leading a church of men and women in her home. It was Lydia's house for the brothers and sisters. And when they get there, they see the work that God is doing, the work that happened while they were in jail. They recognize and affirm that it was their prayers and their covering that shifted the atmosphere of the city. And they bless them and celebrate the work of God that is happening there. The community recognized and affirmed all that God was doing in the life of Lydia. But the community didn't just stop at recognizing and affirming. They made space for her to be who God was inviting her to be. They made space for her to walk out what God was working out within her. They honored her well. So while the absence, the impact of absence, limits the expression of our voice, there is another side of the coin that we need to be cautious of. See, Lydia was from a land called Thyatira. We see this one more time in scripture all the way at the end of the book in Revelations, Thyatira is one of the churches that receives a letter. It's not a good letter. You don't want to get a letter in Revelations. And in this letter, they're commended for how loving they are. They're commended for their care for one another, for their acceptance of all people. They are commended and celebrated, but they have gone too far. And they became a place that pursued quality for the sake of equality. They pursued unity for the sake of unity. And they did whatever it took to keep the fruit of the Spirit, except actually pursue the Spirit. And they chose to walk away. They went from being a church with God to being a church that walked away, decided they knew better, and went right back to where we were in the garden. Church, if we are not honest about the long-standing history of absence, we will find ourselves back there. It happened to Thyatira, a prominent, wealthy, well-known church, living in the power of the Spirit and chose to walk away. But with the long-standing history of absence, it is always a story of invitation. And that letter ends inviting Thyatira to come back into alignment, to come back, to stand firm, to know the power of the Holy Spirit, to pursue the power of the Holy Spirit, to pursue the presence of God, to seek the face of Jesus more than his hands and his feet, to seek what, who God is more than what he can do for you. Because the life lived in the power of the Spirit is a life that promises the fulfillment of God, that promises the fruit of God. But if we pursue the fruit, we will mar the message of the kingdom. He longs to bless us, but if we seek his blessings only, we forfeit the presence. And that is the greatest blessing of them all.
There's nothing passive in a prayer for activation. Not a single thing can happen when you ask the Holy Spirit to be activated if you choose to stay back. The impact of absence is that it limits our voice as we speak out to the world of who God is. But if we go and try to correct the absence without the leading of the Spirit, we will mar the message of the kingdom. Absence has shaped who we are as humanity for long enough. We're called to be people of invitation. We're called to walk in the power of the Spirit with him as the great equalizer, recognizing that the name of Jesus speaks for each of us as we are. And that value doesn't change person to person to person to person. May we be people who see each other through the eyes of the Father and say, you matter. You have space here. What God's doing in you, I want to be part of. Can I walk alongside you in it? How do we honor one another well? That's the question of tension, isn't it? But the answer is simple. We pursue the Holy Spirit. We honor one another well by being a community that recognizes and affirms the work of the Lord in the lives of the people around us. And second, we become a community that creates space for people to walk in what God is working out within them. Do you have space for people to be exactly who God has invited them to be? There's four questions that I want you to start processing through as you're thinking about what it looks like to live in this prayer of activation when you're asking for the Holy Spirit to be the great equalizer, when you're asking the Holy Spirit to help you honor one another. And I want to invite Pastor Andrew up with me for this time. But the first thing you need to ask yourself is who is God stirring up? in your community, and the people around you. Just as Lydia was stirred to respond to the message of Paul, who is God stirring up? Theology 101 says the Holy Spirit is smart and he loves to tell us stuff. You don't need to look for secrets, he'll let you know. Who is God stirring up? Second, how is he moving them to respond? Where do you see the fruit of the Spirit alive in someone's life? Do you notice that someone seems to have a gift of evangelism, a gift of teaching, that when someone speaks in prayer, that their words are anointed with the presence of God? How do you see their response and affirm it as good? Third, what space is needed from you? Where do you need to lay down so that someone else has the opportunity to step in? How can you take something off the table so that someone has the opportunity to be part of what's going on? The whole New Testament has this running theme of one anothering one another. How do you honor one another? How do you serve one another? How do you love one another? How do you shepherd one another? What space is needed? And finally, how will you celebrate and affirm all that God is doing 
in the lives of the people around you? These are just good community questions. Today we're talking about women. But this is true of every person in your life, the people that you have joined on this journey. There's nothing passive in a prayer for activation. How is the Lord stirring you to respond? Today we want to talk a little bit about women. We want to recognize this long-standing history of absence. And I've invited Pastor Andrew up to talk with me through this process. It's awesome. Thanks, Anna. So what we want to do right now before we close in worship is we just want to make space. I think you use that word, to make space um, and spend a little bit of time blessing the women in our church. Uh, a lot of times, and I can speak as a pastor, but also we've, we both have grown up in the church. Both of our we we're weird people. Both of our parents were pastors. Mm-hmm. Both of our dads were pastors and stuff. It's a strange thing. That's, that's probably why we connected so well. But uh, we share the same pain. Uh, <laughs> I was going to say, can we say shared trauma? But, yeah, shared trouble. Yeah. But one of the things, you used this phrase at the beginning, this is really important as, as we shape a new community here in West Milford. We're, we're not only learning by what we say and what we do, we're just as much shaped by what we don't do mm-hmm. or who does not get a voice or who does not get to speak. Um, and I, I found growing up in church that it was a lot easier uh, for, and it was taught in a lot of circles that um, preaching is, is just for men to do. Some of you might be like, really? Like, some of you are going to be like, yeah, that's what I believe or that's what I was taught. Others of you are, are like, I had no idea this was even a thing. That's okay. Just go with me for a minute. Go with me for a minute. Um, but now as a pastor, one of the things that's important to not just me but to us as a church uh, is, is that we are paying attention to where are the voices that need to be brought to the fore that have been maybe dishonored in the past. And specifically to your point, and I'm not just like highlighting people to highlight people because they're different, mm-hmm. but because we see the work of the Holy Spirit in their lives, they need a voice. And you use the term, the Holy Spirit is the great equalizer. So for some of you women, maybe this is like not even a thing. And, and for others of you, maybe you are maybe putting dots together for the first time, or you've been told uh, well, no, you can't do that here, or this isn't a space for you to share that. Or you could teach the Bible, yeah, but you have to do it with the kids. And, and, and so some of you maybe are surprised that this is a thing, but it's, this has happened in churches. But beyond the, the kind of the, the conflict side of it on that, more, I just want to take a minute here and, and bless the work of the Holy Spirit and the women of our church. So if you're a woman in the room, would you stand up? And, and we just want to pray a couple blessings. And for all the men that are in the room, would you just extend a hand towards the women that are around you? And, and Anna and I are just going to pray a few blessings just as they come to mind. Uh, and, and then, um, and then we'll, we'll have some time for, for worship and we'll take communion in just a moment. But I think this is important that we, we do this this morning. So Holy Spirit, we invite you to come and be present. And we thank you for the women of our church. 
We bless the energy that you bring to the room. We bless the, those of you who just have those eyes for detail and are constantly going, wait, what about this? What about this? What about this? We bless that in you. In Isaiah, um, Scripture says that the Lord is close and has a tender heart for those who care for young. So to the moms of tiny ones in the room, the Lord is close. He is tender and he meets you where you are. He draws near to you. Your voice matters. It's not a season of stepping down. It's a season of pressing in. We bless you. I want to repent on behalf of pastors and church leaders who have told some of you that there's no space for you to have a, a voice here to teach or to preach or to lead. I'm sorry if you've heard that and been, had those words spoken to you. Those are voices that were not recognizing the work of the Holy Spirit in your life. all the young women in the room. May the Lord bless you with mentors, men and women, who guide you and coach you, who see and recognize all of God's work in your life and call it out faithfully within you. To all of the single women in the room. I bless you in your calling. You do not need a man. You do not need to be married in order to pursue that calling. Mm -hmm. There are plenty of biblical examples of that. Your life is not on hold until that happens. If any of these are landing for you, as we're saying, you can just... just Rest with God in it. Just continue to, to receive. Recognize God's presence is with you. If something really is meaningful to you, just recognize that's God's presence at work in you in this moment. Scripture says that Jesus became a curse for us. So, there's children around, so I have to be careful what I say uh, word-wise. But there's a specific word that begins with a B, ladies. Mm -hmm. And a lot of you who are great leaders and are assertive, this word has been uh, used to describe you. And we just break that curse off of you. Jesus became a curse for you.
to the women in the room who believe that it is too far gone. I bless you to see how far his grace goes. To the men in the room who've been faithful champions of the women you love in your life. Thank you. May you continue to be champions of the women in your life. Without men who believed in the equal status of women, we wouldn't have the words of Martha where Jesus told her, I am the resurrection. It was whispered only to her. Without men like you, we wouldn't have the words of Mary, mother of Jesus, who treasured and stored up all those encounters with the Holy Spirit in her heart to be revealed in the Gospels because men gave her voice authority. Who we are as people would be greatly changed if we didn't have the stories of women throughout all of Scripture. May we continue to be people who see through the eyes of the Father the work of his hands being lived out in the lives of the people around us. May we continue to walk out this journey and ministry of reconciliation with the hope and the excitement and the fervor of this great invitation. May we step in fully. There's nothing passive here. So Holy Spirit, would you activate in us? It was great having you with us today. We do hope that this sermon inspired you to know Christ and make him known. For more sermons and resources, please visit us at theplantchurch.org.